I think when you care about people and they know that you care about them, they're they're indebted to you in a good way. They want to stay with you. But I found my way. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sponge Show. Episode four. We've made it. We've made it to our fourth episode. The uh, the fourth out of four so far. <laughs> and next time we'll have five out of five. But we made it this far. Thanks to everybody for following along. Um, what is the Sponge Show? It is a show to absorb things that we can learn from for leadership, entrepreneurship, community involvement, um, and anything that relates to uh, pushing yourself forward. And uh, I am your host, Brad Sabalski. I am the brains behind Be Connected, a social media management firm in downtown Appleton. And um, I am really pleased to have a guest today on the show, um, Jess Dennis, who's a really good friend of mine and somebody that I've looked up to in the business community for a long time, um, going back a number of years. So thanks for coming on the show, Jess. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. So I would give everybody a little bit of a walkthrough of your business history, I guess, if you will, but I'll let you do that. So can you give us a little bit of a elevator pitch on who is Jess Dennis? Mm. Um, so I've kind of found my love for entrepreneurship unexpectedly. Uh, this is the Cliff Notes part. So I fell into entrepreneurship during the recession when I was 25. Uh, mostly because there there weren't jobs. I was afraid of losing my job. So I figured if nothing else, I would start something, learn a lot, and I didn't know if I'd make anything. Um, but we were blessed. We grew really fast with the economy, and that just kind of set me on the, the track for entrepreneurship. I loved it. I fell in love with it. The business model wasn't perfect, but that's when I also figured out that I was really fascinated by different business models in entrepreneurship. So since then, I've owned... Four, three, four, four other companies. Four other companies? Four, four other companies in totally different industries, um, technology, real estate, and in network marketing. Um, I'm working on starting another one right now. Um, I, did, I love it. Entrepreneurship's kind of my jam. That's what I like to do. So I've been, I was calculating up before I got here, but I've either been solely self-employed or have been working on a side gig for 10 years. Wow, congrats. Thanks. And you're still in one piece. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, I'm loving it. And and probably better than before you started the 10 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been really fun to watch you grow through different things and get involved in different things and everything like that. And like I said before, you've been uh, a huge inspiration to me just as far as like how you how you approach business and working with people and stuff like that. Well, thank Which you. we'll get into. But um, before we do that, we have to go over our favorite drink. This <laughs> is the sponge show after all. We have to soak up what we came here to soak up, which is uh, drinks. <laughs> Drinks. <laughs> Drinks and conversation, if you will, it. right? Um, so I'll go first just to kick things off as far as what I brought. Um, I'm, those of you that have been following along, you can tell that I'm, I'm getting into wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a confession. Yeah, so this is a thing. And um, now for the fourth time in a row, I've brought wine. Uh, this one has a bit more of a backstory to it, though. We have Carhartt. Yes, Carhartt, like the clothing, mm -hmm. right? Um, so Carhartt, uh, their, I don't know where their winery is based out of technically or their vineyard is or anything like that, but, um, they had a, a, like a tasting, uh, outlet, if you will, in Los Olivos, which is about two hours North of LA. 
So like in California, Napa gets all the credit and everything like that. But mm-hmm. Los Olivos is basically like a door county in the middle of God's country in California. So it's way north of, you know, the urban central of L.A. and everything like that. And you go down and you have this main street and you've got all these wineries and vineyards that have these like outlet stores. Basically, you go in and you pay 10 bucks and you get a flight of wine. Right. (laughs) And then you jump from one and you get hammered and it's really fun. Right. So Carhartt has a location there. And we went there with my family because my brother lives out in L.A. And um, it was really good. And it turns out that it's the same family from the the clothing company if mm-hmm. you will and i think it's a, a brother or an uncle or something like that that went and started the winery so they're they're based out of uh the california area and we signed up for their quarterly uh like shipment plan nice and it's really good it's it's just really really tasty wine so i have the 2015 il grande gallo what varietal is that um let's see it says on the back it's a blend <laughs> Okay. I don't. Okay, so I'm so new to wine. I'm not going to know how to pronounce half this stuff. It is a uh, 50% uh, Sangiovese. Is that how you say? It? Oh, San- Sangiovese. Sangiovese. Yeah. <laughs> You've been drinking wine longer than me. Um, a 22% Merlot, 20% Cab, 8% Petit Verdot. Good one. And out of all of those, like the 50% is from. Uh, looks like an Italian vineyard. The eight percent is from Curtis Vineyard, and then the two, the Merlot and the Cab, are both from Carhartt Vineyard. Awesome. So it's from their own stuff. So it's a mix, and I think Il Grande Gallo means the the, the big rooster because oh. it's got a rooster on it, and I know Grande means big. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. So what do you have for us today? Oh, I like it. Okay, so I planned on bringing one that I had never actually tried before, but I ended up bringing one that I'm very familiar with. I've been drinking wine for a long time, and this one is from the Segezio family vineyard, which I've never personally visited, Um, but it was the first Zinfandel that I fell in love with, a red Zinfandel. In Wisconsin here, a lot of people think of white. I know enough about wine to know that I like Zinfandel now. Yes. Because it was, I started with red blends and then cabs and Zin, and I was like, ooh, I think I could do this. This was like my, I once I was really into wine, this was like the one I would splurge on. This is a $20 bottle of wine, which, you know, when you're getting into wine, $20 is a lot of money to spend on a bottle of wine. So this was probably like my first, I don't know, expensive wine, if you will. And, and you, it's a good one. And you're still buying it today. I still love it. That's yeah, awesome. I well, totally love it. Cheers. Cheers. And thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So... Let's dive into a little bit more about Jess Dennis, the entrepreneur, the serial entrepreneur. (laughs) So uncomfortable. So um, 10 years ago in the the thick of the recession, right? And um, you were talking about diving in to your own ventures. Um, That was back and you, a lot of people probably don't know this or it's been a little while so they might've forgot, but you co-founded Red Shoes PR right? Mm -hmm. Correct. And that, um, and Red Shoes is still a very prominent, well-respected PR firm in this area. Um, I know I, I myself have a lot of respect for what they've been able to build and everything. And even when I was coming out of college, it was like, you know, you want to go into, to PR communications, digital, whatever, like Red Shoes was on the map. Everybody talked about them. Um, so talk about that a little bit. What, 
it's it takes a lot of guts to start something at 25 mm -hmm. um and what where did that come from you know i actually think it takes a lot less guts to start something at 25 than it does at 35. i say the same thing because i started at 22. yeah and people yeah. are like wow that's amazing i'm like i had no responsibility <laughs> i always tell everyone everyone thinks the the misperception is that entrepreneurs are the bravest smartest people if you will i think they're the stupidest i, I think in the face of all the reasons they shouldn't do something, they do it anyway. And it's not because they're these, I mean, for this isn't the case for everyone, obviously, but it's not because they're just out there to um, prove something usually or because they are super brave and they're you know made of steel. It's just because they're passionate about it or they're curious enough that they wanna figure it out. And at 25, starting Red Shoes, so John and I got married in March of 2008. I had no idea at that time that we would be starting a business, we being the partner that I had in Red Shoes, that we'd be starting a business two months later. I had no idea. So that's how fast that moved. I don't think there was a lot of time to think about the huge downside. Well, you figure it out. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. I'm big, I am a big believer on just, um, really looking at like minimizing your downside. So at that time in 2008, um, during the recession, we had already received pay cuts. Um, I, was a, I wasn't really afraid of losing my job, but I could see the potential writing on the wall. I also knew that there weren't marketing jobs, and let's be real, who wants to hire a 25-year-old who has almost zero experience in marketing? <laughs> I didn't have a lot of downside. I mean, what was the worst thing that could happen from starting a business? I learn a lot and don't make any money. That was probably gonna be the case anyway. <laughs> <laughs> At least for the first couple of years. Yeah. For sure, yeah. yeah. And, and it ended up turning out way better than that. We learned so much and we actually made money. That's awesome. Yeah. What was the biggest thing that you learned from that? Because you employed people. Mm -hmm. uh, you tried scaling at one <sighs> point, right? Yeah. You, yeah. And we're right in the thick of that with our company, so I can relate to that. Um, you worked with a variety of different businesses, different people. The yeah. biggest thing I took away from that company was you can have a plan and you should have some semblance of a plan. But I think you can have a business plan that's less than five pages, two pages, because it will change. Yeah. So know what your strategic advantage is or where you wanna go, but be ready to change, be ready to pivot, because you don't know everything. And Ren, your daughter, mm -hmm. you, had, did, you had Ren while you were running the business, Yeah, correct? I was blessed with Ren about what, a little over a year after we started it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're off the ground and running and then you're expecting your first kid. Yeah, I like started one baby and had another one. <laughs> <laughs> That's and you made it through in one piece. It made, it made who I, I mean, that really was the foundation of who I have now become. That's cool. Mm -hmm. You left Red Shoes. Mm -hmm. um, you sold your shares or left um, the partnership. Then what, what career path did you take after that? So I did. I sold my portion of the company and that, really like sparked the fire that has only gotten stronger and stronger since that time. So that fire was this idea of balance um, and being a female entrepreneur and being a mother and a wife. Okay, explain that. So when yeah. I hear the word fire, I don't think balance. I normally <laughs> think like burnout, fire, yeah. right? Fire and burnout. Um, yeah. So what do you mean by like 
the fire to have balance. Mm-hmm. So um, we were in the beginning stages of forming Red Shoes, and I loved it. I was one of these entrepreneurs I'm sure you can relate to. You had to pull me away from work. I loved to work. I worked every weekend. I work every night. Um, I was 100% in. But then after having Ren, our daughter, I had to figure out a way that I could be a mom and be a business owner, be an entrepreneur. And I wanted to do both of them well. And at the time, I felt like I was failing at both. Um, It was a horrible feeling. I would go home and I felt, you know, I felt this need to be with my employees and growing the business. And then when I was at the business, I felt like I wasn't doing my part to be a mom. That is ultimately what caused me to sell the business because I couldn't find that balance. And I couldn't live with... Not sell it entirely because Red Shoes continued. Correct. Yep, I sold to the partner that started it with me. Um, But I couldn't continue on that path. And I knew I had to figure out a way that I could own a business or multiple businesses but still be the mom that I desired to be, a spectacular present mom. And so that's why when I say I'm fascinated by business models, at that time in my life, being a new mom, the service-based pay, you know, charge by the hour right. business didn't fit my lifestyle. Yeah. And the interesting thing for me was is that idea of balance struck me so hard in my core, um, either got me really excited or really ticked off. Um, that I knew that there was something in that that I was meant to follow. Like I can say that it is very deeply connected to my purpose. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I still feel that way today. That's that fire. Yeah. Yeah. So then within, I mean, when you look at the term of a career, right, within a pretty short amount of time, you got involved in a tech startup. Mm-hmm. Um, you started in the network marketing business. And shortly after that, you got into rental properties, right? Mm-hmm. So... What what was the progression of those things? So the tech startup was immediately after selling Red Shoes. And what Uh, was it exactly? um, It was an online micro donation crowdfunding platform called Charitably. And we started that. I had two partners, um, Chris Schmitz and Thomas Bishop, who I love dearly. Shout out to those two. Great guys. Good people. Great guys. Um, We started that to help local nonprofits. And we did a great job. We raised just under $100,000 for local nonprofits. I loved being involved and I loved being able to help them, but I learned a very valuable lesson with that company. Well, two. Um, One was that you can't have a business and not make money. And we didn't make money. It seems like an obvious, right? Yeah, true that. (laughs) But when you set out to help nonprofits, you also feel very bad about making money. So we didn't make money and we never put together uh, a revenue model around that company. Big Mm -hmm. mistake. Um, The biggest reason it didn't work is because people don't value something that they don't pay for. And people don't value something that they get for free. Um, So you feel like that there were some some moments where people just took, uh, they took it for granted, almost the service, took the service and, and the, the app itself and the technology for granted? Yeah, I think so. And even what I've seen since that time, like we had a great platform. It functioned well. The user experience side was really, really sharp, especially for back in that time. No, it, did. it looked really good. Yeah, and it functioned yeah. really, really well. And I had nothing to do with that. That was Chris and Thomas. They did a stand-up job on that. 
but yeah, if you don't pay for something, you you tend to not value it, mm-hmm. you know? And the other side of that too, I can't just put that on the user. The other side of it was that when you don't get paid, you also don't prioritize it. Totally. Yeah. You can have the best intentions in the entire world, yeah. but if it's not sustainable, and sustainable meaning dollars, it's only a matter of time until priorities start to come in. And you could even say like, I'm dedicated to this. I've been doing this for five, 10 years. Well, what happens when something really big in your life comes along and it's not sustainable. Well, that's gonna be the first one to go. Yeah, and I mean, you can only ask your family to give so much, yeah. you know? Give, help, you know, support you in giving of your time. Yeah. So that was a big lesson that we learned. And then the network marketing thing started uh, shortly after that or around that time? Yep, 2012 is when I started in the network marketing industry. And that one, I still think it's fascinating, it's funny, I never, saw myself in this industry never in fact i i would say i really disliked this industry quite a bit um but i'm a very curious person Mm -hmm. and so when i was approached with this opportunity and i immediately had a very negative perception and i think i turned it down 15 times in less than 10 minutes um like anything short of you know hell no um i was curious about that why do I feel so negatively? Where does that come from? Why am I so strongly opposed to this industry? What is it? And the more I dug into that, the more I realized that that perception I had was based on misinformation, inaccurate information, a very shallow knowledge base. So you, you skip forward though, and how big is your team now? Couple thousand. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So you've had to overcome some of those 15 no's of why you shouldn't do it. I mean, you've had to overcome that over and over and over again. Think about every single time you talk to somebody who is in the same boat, but now you've built this huge team around you, um, which is incredibly impressive, especially within the industry that you even yourself had your own doubts about. Mm -hmm. So what do you, like, what is the biggest um, thing that you've had to overcome within that, like within yourself, as far as like how people see network marketing. Gosh, I mean, it. You have to let go of people's perceptions, and it's the hardest thing that I continue to struggle with, and it will probably be something that I will. I don't know that you ever fully overcome it. I think some people. So do, do. you still think? Do you still have that um, that feeling today of like feeling like it's not? It has the stigma. Oh yeah, and it does, yeah. And you and you fight through it every day? Every single day. And through that fight, you've built a team of a couple thousand people. Yeah, That's, yeah. 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 That's pretty cool though. Mm-hmm. And then you got into rental properties as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a totally different side of income, right? Yeah, so we got into vacation rental properties and that one, um, that's like, I tell everyone, that's my heart business. Um, John and I had uh, gone away to Bailey's Harbor in Door County. And we just spent a weekend together as a couple for the first time in, I think since having kids. And this was back in 2013. And we were going through some rough stuff as a couple. And that's also part of the reason I feel very strongly about balance today and making sure you're taking care of the people in your life that you love. Um, and we spent the whole weekend in Bailey's Harbor. In fact, we didn't want to go home. We called John's mom who was watching our girls and said, can you just watch them one more night? We want to stay here. And we fell in love with the area. And then a few months after that, we were approached with an opportunity to buy these cottages. 
that were run as vacation rentals and it was such an easy decision. Like our entire, our heart and our core just said, yeah, for sure. The numbers made sense. Um, We were excited about it. Two things I really believe about business. It has to make sense financially. We learned that from Charitably. The other thing is your heart has to be in it. Um, And I really believe in leading with the heart. And I learned that from when we eventually decided to close down Charitably. Chris and Thomas and I sat around a table in a bar and we talked about all these ways that we can improve the platform. And the final question that came down to was, is your heart still in it? And all three of us said no. And, And I knew that we had to close it then. And so I believe it has to make money, has to make sense. And it has to be, I have to lead with the heart in a business. So that's our, the cottages are our heart business. And do you think sometimes that people confuse their heart with what they think people expect of them? For sure. And that's where you got to let go of what other people think. So your heart might not be in it, but you don't want to let someone down. So you won't do the tough decision, even though your heart's not in it. Yeah. Yeah. Agree? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So what's the biggest thing that you've learned from having vacation rentals? Because it's, it's probably a pretty foreign world for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a good question. I love the industry. I would say it is a lot of fun to be involved with, okay, so I might have to back up on this. There's a lot of businesses that are starting right now that are leveraging technology platforms that are created by other people. So like if you think Airbnb, VRBO, um, Uber. Uber, yeah. Yeah, Lyft. You have all of these micro entrepreneurs that are leveraging technology that they didn't have to develop and create. Our, our entire business runs on VRBO and Airbnb. That's how we get all of our renters at this point, and all of our guests. And you book pretty solidly throughout the whole year. Yes, yes. And I love being a part of this industry that is truly revolutionizing entrepreneurship right now. I absolutely love it. Um, we go to the conferences, we learn about it. They were fortunate that we, who we've partnered with is really interested in hearing consumer feedback and what works for us, what doesn't work, what would we change. Um, I just, I, I think it's a blast. You can, in today's age, you can start a business with fairly low overhead, not necessarily vacation rentals. That one takes some significant you need some overhead. Capital, yeah. yeah. You need some capital. But other business like if you think Uber and Lyft, you can start as an Uber and Lyft driver with the vehicle you own, leverage these technology platforms and make some side cash. Yeah. I think it's awesome. And the cool thing about vacation rentals is that you're also building equity. Mm-hmm. The thing is you get to be a part of people's story. I mean, we have had some of our best vacations in other people's vacation rental properties. I love getting to know other owners and I love getting to know my guests. They come from all over the world, believe it or not, to Door County, Wisconsin. That's awesome. I know. That's so cool. I feel like we could talk forever about lessons that you've learned with different ventures because they're so various, right? Of different types of income, different types of teams, employees versus team members. I mean, just that dynamic of having somebody work for you versus somebody work on your team that, but they don't work for you. Well, let me just ask this. What's the biggest difference from going from a company where you had employees at Red Shoes to uh, network marketing where you have a team of people and none of them are your employees? Yes, I am running a volunteer force. Of thousands. Of thousands. <laughs> they can, they, I don't pay them. You know, they make their own money. So they, I'm truly training people, entrepreneurial skills. I'm helping them to learn those skills. Um, but they're, 
they're all volunteer. They could leave at any time. They don't have a contract. You know, so it, what becomes really important is culture, um, giving back, helping people, supporting people, and caring about people. Is there any one thing that's top of mind right now for what what good culture means? Like something that you're focusing on for 2018? My Well, so for 2018, I am just working on really leading with the heart in everything I do. With our family, with faith, with my company, with people. I think when you care about people and they know that you care about them, they're, they're indebted to you in a good way. They want to stay with you. Yeah. yeah. Preach. I love that. The last segment that we have of this show is going to be our 50-50 questions. So before uh, we started the show, Jess and myself each wrote down four questions for the other person. Um, and we are each going to take two of them. So there's a 50-50 chance of our question being either asked or not asked throughout this segment. And I'm excited to do this. Oh, gosh. So okay. I'll go first All right. to get things started. What's something you believe to be true that most people don't? Um, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about how most people think that entrepreneurs are this like brave animal, um, <laughs> that really there's this like ounce of craziness that it takes. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I think, I, I truly believe that um, it is not very gutsy to start a business and that actually in today's day and age, it's really, really easy to do um, with various things. And you can call yourself an entrepreneur even though you want to be, but you really haven't done anything yet. Um, it's very easy in today's world. Um, and I think it, it goes beyond that. It goes, it goes to a lot of boring things, like thinking about systems and scaling and being able to duplicate your processes. And if you can do that successfully so that you're able to provide a value without you doing it, then you are an entrepreneur. And that doesn't take bravery at all. That literally just takes... Um, planning and thinking about the market and adding value in ways that doesn't involve you personally. Mm -hmm. How's that? I dig it. Managing cool. the downside. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Your turn. Okay. What is the similarity between PR, rental properties, and network marketing? They all take people. No matter what business you're in, it takes people. You gotta, I, th I think one thing with running a business, owning a business, growing a business, you have to like people. I mean, I would say for life in general, you should probably like people. Yeah. <laughs> I know some people don't. Yeah. Um, but if you learn to love people, people that are different from yourself, yeah. if, you, if you're curious about people and you're open to different ways, it's gonna make it so much more fun. I mean, that's the, that's the secret sauce. Even from a technology standpoint, mm -hmm. you can't scale a technology company without relying on a team. And you can't get your off the ground and running without having people buy into what you're doing, why you're doing all that kind of stuff, which all is people to people. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with creating this app that just takes over. And I believe that the people that are in our lives are there for a reason to help you learn and grow. I'm, a, I'm big, again, curious. So when somebody is hitting something inside of me that I don't like, I always have to dig into that. Like, what is that? What what are they hitting that I don't want to confront? I, I kind of want to dig on that, but we're on, running out of time. <laughs> like, what's bothering Cliff you notes. right now? <laughs> 20 hours later. <laughs> All right. One business you would start if you didn't need to make money. 
Um, well, there's two ideas. One of them I explored during Startup Weekend Green Bay um, from a couple years ago that we spent uh, 48 hours trying to develop and realized that it, w- it would be really tough to make money, but I would still want to do it. Um, and that is a coffee grounds recycling business. So think of all of the coffee that gets made and all of the grounds that are left over. And I know like Starbucks will package it up and let you take it. But what about all the giant corporations that literally have rows and rows of people and pots and pots of coffee that gets made every single day? All of those grounds of coffee, if you collected them all and repackaged them and recycled them for fertilizer um, and did so in in an environmental safe way, I think that would be truly fascinating. The other one is um, a local art advocacy agency. So pairing artists, uh, sculptors, metal workers, whoever does public types of art and partnering with commercial development projects to incorporate local artists and local talent into those projects instead of throwing it up afterwards. So like instead of just uh, saying, you know, somebody saying, hey, we should take a piece of art and put it up in our lobby. It would be it would be talked about before the lobby's being done, constructed, so that it actually incorporates into it. It would be really, really tough to make money in that, though. Yeah. Well, and I like that question because I believe you have to. I think I believe it is your responsibility to make money. Hundred percent agree. As an yeah, you uh, owe it. You owe it to the people that work for you. You do, and honestly, you owe it to yourself. Like all of us are capable of making whatever price tag we want to put on it. Mm-hmm. Um. But I always think it's interesting to think if I weren't afraid to fail or if I, if I wasn't afraid of not making money at this, what would I do? Because I think it's very telling of where your passions are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does that say about my passions? I guess. Well, I mean, you're involved <laughs> in the art scene, so that I, doesn't yeah. surprise me. I, I yeah. wonder if you can make like, the, when we th- were talking about coffee grounds, I immediately thought of pillows. Pillows? Yeah. Like, I wonder if you could make pillows out of that. But I guess that would kind of stimulate Out of what? You. The coffee grounds. That'd be the most uncomfortable pillow. Like ever. shove. Well, have I <laughs> <laughs> what kind of pillows do you use? <laughs> okay, well, I, there was one. Actually, Tim Ferriss recommended. What is it? It's a buckwheat hull pillow. Have you ever heard of that one? No. Super heavy, and it's all made out of buckwheat hulls. Oh. You're supposed to sleep really well. I bet it holds your head up just. It was fine. crunchy though. Mm. When I would move, it would. Crunch. I'm not digging it. I always, I'm willing to try anything. I'm not so if you it. start that, I'll try. All right. All I'll right. be your first buyer. My, co- my co- used coffee grounds pillows. <laughs> and the oil just seeps out of it as you sleep on it. It's this perfect. You might be wired by the time you get up. <laughs> oh, that's probably, <laughs> hey, we're on to something. We're on to something. All right. My, my question. What's the best lesson you can teach your kids about leadership? Great question. Leadership is so many things. Um, but I really believe leadership is about helping people overcome problems that you yourself have faced and overcome. Um, but it's about caring about people. It's about listening. Um, I also believe it's doing the hard stuff that you're asking of other people. It's leading from the front. Um, being the front meaning you're doing the work that you're asking other people to do of you. So I guess if I were to relate this to my kids, I would tell them to work harder on themselves than they do on anything else. Because if you are learning and growing yourself, you'll be able to help people. You'll be a valuable person because you'll have valuable things to share with other people. And so instead of setting, you know, what is that quote? 
Um, and I always screw up quotes, but we'll get the idea. Worry more about being a person of value, you know, than being a valuable person. So instead of how much you're worth, if you can share value with others and lead, you know, bring people along in that journey, that's that's what we need. I mean, we need good leaders today more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, from my standpoint, it's been really. I think you set a great example for, um, you know, how to instill that in your kids. Because I've known you for a number of years now, and you got some cool kids. You know, they're all over the place sometimes, but in the best way, right? They sometimes. <laughs> they're kids are fun. I mean, they yeah. repeat back to you everything, so you learn very quickly the things that you should stop doing. But just being around them, you get a sense of the values that the parents have by how the kids act, and I think that's. I think you're setting a great example for how you can be um, continually pushing yourself and growing your business, but at the same time raising quality human beings so well thank you nice job thank you i am the entrepreneur pusher at my my kid's school yeah so when you get the you know what do you want to be when you grow up i'm always entrepreneur my <laughs> entrepreneur <laughs> like they don't know how to say they have it. no idea <laughs> we're working on that that's awesome yeah well thank you everybody for tuning in um on the fourth episode of the sponge show i want to thank my guest jess thanks for being here so much uh, means a lot. And thanks for everybody that has subscribed up to this point, that has uh, absorbed one of these episodes, for lack of better words. And um, I encourage you all to subscribe on iTunes, on Facebook, on a YouTube playlist that we have. You can get this in your inbox if you, if you sign up for our email list. Either way, we want to get this to you in as many channels as possible um, and to help every single one of you learn and keep pushing forward. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode in another two weeks. And until then, have a great week. Thanks, Brad.